DJ and PK brought you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time to welcome in Evan Barnes, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. Evan, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing today? Well, there's a lot of stress about the Jazz in these parts, and it got heightened by what happened in Game 1. Did that... Lighten the mood in Memphis? Did it surprise Grizzly fans? Are there now expectations and pressure that weren't there before? How's that, how's that game one win playing in Memphis? I think a lot of people are pretty excited. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew this was going to be a tough series going in. They you know, kind of expected the Grizzlies to be you know, kind of happy to be there. And then all of a sudden, game one started out like it was going to be the case of fatigue and tired legs. And next thing you know, the Grizzlies showed the fight that they really showed the last two weeks, and it was really kind of a surprise to a lot of people. And Memphis being such a great basketball city, they've embraced it. They're loving it. They're, they're pretty excited. And I know it's probably not what folks in the Salt Lake City want to hear, but I know that Memphis feels like now they have a chance, and they're, they're fully embracing this as a, as a fun series now. So a lot of things happen in Game 1, and I'm not sure they can recreate itself the way it did in Game 2, but one of the things that I think can happen again, and I'm pretty sure you probably think the same thing, is the stellar play of Ja Morant, because it seems like he's just that good and only getting better. Yeah, obviously, I think the last two games, Ja has really taken on the mantle of it's time to take that leap forward from being a really, really good player rookie of the year now showing that this is what a star and a potential superstar does. And it's funny that Dylan Brooks was maybe the big takeaway from that game, and yet John Morant still had his fourth quarter closing instincts, and he's shown that well. So it's, it's really fun kind of seeing how he's been able to really keep that up and really even going back to how he played against the Jazz earlier this year. He's been really adept getting to the rim, even with Rudy Gobert. He has no fear, and it just really shows how he's really kind of taking his game to a different level, not showing that fear, being able to go against, you know, go there, get to the paint. And uh, I'd be really curious kind of seeing how the Jazz um, adjust to him now on Wednesday. Yeah, that having no fear thing, I think that's one thing that sticks with everybody watching him play, right? He has no fear. But the Dylan Brooks question, a guy who averages 17 a game goes for 31. Are there some things in the matchup between these two teams that are going to allow him to repeat that, or is that something he does once or twice in a seven-game series and they got to they got to figure out some other ways to win if they're going to prevail in the series? No, I think, I think uh, the Jazz have to be ready for Dylan Brooks being that guy. He's, he's always been a player that is, you know, can, can catch fire instantly or he can shoot a team out of the game. And the last couple of months, he's really been able to catch fire and get his shot going. And I think with Jaron Jackson back, it frees him up to do a little bit more on the field. But he's also shooting the ball better. better excuse me. Um, it's funny. When the year started, he was shooting career lows. He wasn't able to get on track. It was a liability. Now he's able to kind of you know be that two-way threat that he wants to be. And this is kind of the time of year where he really wants to kind of shine a bit. So he's really – kind of taking that performance that he's had on Sunday, and I think it won't be the last that the Jazz see, but they're going you know, to have to be ready for a, a guy who can be an agitator, who can be a fire starter, who can kind of inspire his teammates with his emotion. And what, I think what everyone saw on Sunday is kind of what the Grizzlies have seen the last two years under Taylor Jenkins, is that Dylan Brooks can be that emotional core that the team just rallies around as much as they do Morant. So who is Taylor Jenkins, and where did he come from? <laughs> So it's kind of funny. So Taylor Jenkins was, you know, 
He was a former assistant with Mike Brunhoser in Atlanta and Milwaukee. Um, he's obviously learned from that tree. He's also learned from being with the Spurs as um, coaching in the G League. He actually was um, working with Quinn Snyder down in the G League, actually. So Taylor Jenkins is kind of an interesting guy in the sense that this is really his, his second year as the head man, but he's been trained very well by, obviously, two very successful coaches in Boonholzer and Popovich. And what he's done is he's kind of got the, the Grizzlies kind of believing in this up-tempo, free-flowing freedom to be themselves, but also give them the freedom to trust each other and trust him, take more threes, run up-tempo, and obviously having a player like John Morant really helps, but what he's done is he's gotten the guys to really just enjoy playing with each other. Like This is really a young, fun bunch. Um, Taylor James has often said that they're all kind of figuring it out together, and they're kind of writing that, you know, emotion of, you know, inexperience, if you will, together. So it, it's a fascinating journey for Jenkins, and I think you're seeing him kind of learn how to be a coach on this level because, you know, if you would have told me a year ago that the second-year coach, second youngest roster in the NBA would be up 1-0, as an eight seed, I would have said no way up until at least a month ago. So there are a lot of similarities there for good reasons, because everybody's roots seem to go back to San Antonio's organization. But the Grizzlies shooting 35% from three, is that anything that's going to change? Is that something to address in the offseason? Is there any reason to fear that for the Jazz? How's that going to play? Well, I think that's it's funny because like this has kind of been like some of the best three point shooting the Grizzlies have historically had as a team. Like they've never really been a team that has been, you know, full of shooters, if you will. They've always had maybe one or two guys like a Mike Miller or a couple guys here and there. But this year they've really started to kind of show signs that the let it fly philosophy is growing. So I do think they're going to have to probably keep looking for more shooters. They're nowhere near the Jazz, obviously. I mean, the Jazz have you know. So many good shooters. You know, Mike Connolly is putting up some really good numbers. So I think the Grizzlies definitely want to keep improving on that, and I think it's really going to depend on what John Morant does. His three-point shot has been a issue. It's gotten better the last couple months, but he has to be more consistent with it. But I think that between drafting Desmond Bain, seeing DeAnthony Melton kind of grow into being a shooter, Grayson Allen found his touch here, um, I think it's going to be something that they really have to develop next year because that's where they can really take a leap and show that they're growing to be a playoff contender, not just a one-year flash in the pan. So it looks like, just looking at their record, that they really got it together as the season progressed, and it's clear that they play, they're playing their best ball now, obviously. Well, what do you think are some of the reasons are for that, that what we've seen and what has transpired? <sighs> well, it's funny because April, I think, is when things started to turn around. We all thought at the time that when they were having, they were going to play 11 of those games on the road, we thought that month was going to break them. Like there was going to be just a month where they would have to either find a way to win or the, the, the seven-year road trip they'd be on would just break them down and be completely tired. But they found a way to start that month winning three games on the road, um, including in Philadelphia. That was kind of where things turned around. And what helped them was they started shooting the ball much better. Um, Dylan Brooks started to play much better. And then you see John Morant starting to slowly have games where he's going to take control of the game. He had 35, I think, against uh, Anthony Edwards. He, you know, found more confidence in his three-point shots. So I think what, what turned it around was just the Grizzlies, one, embracing the fact that they've become a really good road team, but also the confidence in the shooting, the confidence in guys stepping up, and really just being like understanding that, hey, you know, 
they have all the confidence in the world as a young team. It's time to start showing it. And I think that that Warriors game last week, not the not the playing game, but the regular season finale, I think that game really kind of woke them up to realize, hey, you got to bring a little another level of intensity and energy, and that's what's really kind of carried them. So I think it's been a combination of them shooting the ball better, understanding that these games are important, and not being and really even last season in the bubble kind of taught them that they need to really learn how to um, adjust. I think it's a combination of all of that. Evan Barnes joining us, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the commercial appeal. So how much of a difference do you think the Donovan Mitchell return makes to the way the Grizzlies have to play it, and how much can we not really compare much of what happened in Game 1 to anything going forward with Mitchell on the floor? Well, I think Donovan Mitchell is going to have um, a significant impact. I mean, he scored 70 points in the two games combined against the Grizzlies, and he was that second game, he was unconscious. I mean, he was just lightning up that second game, and I think it obviously makes things different because now the Grizzlies have to account for another score on the floor. They have to make sure that their three-point defense is strong because by accounting for Mitchell, um, they obviously know that Jazz are probably going to shoot better than they did in game one, so it's going to open the floor a whole lot more. I think you know, it's going to test the Grizzlies as a pretty good defense to make sure they stay on point with that. Um, but I do think it'll be really interesting to see kind of how Dylan Brooks defends Donovan Mitchell because um, I, I put up a story today basically where Dylan Brooks did a pretty good job against him in the first game. In the second game, not so well, but nobody really did well against him. So I will be curious how the Grizzlies defend him, but more so how they adjust to the, to the Jazz, you know, shooting better from three. I, I think, you know, it's going to be really interesting. So I think the Jazz really – um, has to have you know, still have an advantage, and it really is up to the Grizzlies to say, all right, how do you weather the storm of Mitchell coming back, looking to kind of you know come out the gate shooting, if you will. When they get back to Memphis, what is being allowed in terms of number of fans? So Memphis will have fifty five percent capacity starting Saturday. They announced it on Sunday that that's what the increase will be. So there will be about ten thousand fans in FedEx Forum, which will be kind of a a kind of a continuation from what's going on out there. I know you guys have things have 13,000, so um, Memphis is ready for it. I know uh, Taylor Jenkins and John Morant said this week that they're looking forward to a larger crowd, and this crowd is kind of a, a warm-up for them. But uh, it's going to be really interesting. In Memphis, you know, people saw it on ESPN on, on a Wednesday with the first. The crowd down there is excited. They're ready. They'll be rocking with growl towels, waving them. You'll be hearing some Memphis music. So uh, it's going to be a fun atmosphere that's going to continue what – They've seen the, the, the first two games in Utah. Does Valanciunas routinely get big guys in foul trouble? He is so big, as one of our guests said. He is girthy. So is he <laughs> going to get a lot of people in foul trouble? Because obviously Rudy Gobert only playing 25 minutes and fouling out. That was a big factor in game one. <laughs> well, that was, the funny thing is that was kind of surprising almost. Like Valanciunas is, is massive. I mean, by the way, whoever said girthy, give, I give them credit. That's a word we don't use that often, but I like that word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's very, you know, he has the ability to be physical. He, he gets guys where he wants them. And it's funny, I did not expect Gobert to be in foul trouble the way that he was in. And I, I don't expect that to continue um, in game two. But if that happens, I mean, I think that's what Valanciunas wants to do. He wants to take advantage of, you know, using his size and doing what he can. So, um, it'll be really interesting. I think Valanciunas will have a big role this year because he and Gobert almost played to a stalemate in game one, and that's kind of what the Grizzlies hope for, is that when Rudy Gobert is in, they have to find a way to attack and produce because when he's off, 
it's a great advantage for them. So I think Valentinus will have that kind of a big man impact, kind of making this a, a fun traditional series, much of the modern series. Well, Evan, we appreciate the time and a little insight into the Grizzlies. We're looking forward to the rest of this series. Thanks for joining us. Likewise. You guys enjoy as much as we do. Y'all take care. Evan Barnes covers the Memphis Grizzlies for the commercial appeal. Did he change anything you think about this series, PK? You are pondering something you heard, but I don't know what. Well, I'm taking care. You are taking care. Yeah, that was the counsel, and I'm going to do that. Okay. Don't do that. What difference does it make? You know what I mean? In the end, it's just this is air. It's nothing. So you have to take care. Please so take care. So let's take care of taking care. And then I think that ultimately the Jazz will take care of Memphis. Credit to Mike Smith for girthy. He's a load. That Valenzuelas. Big time. is. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you got to do your homework early on him. <laughs> Beat him to the spot. Uh, yeah, because he gets it, and he can use his body with that little hook shot. And he's got a nice touch around the basket. I say he's got a nice touch, period. And he can he can hit a three, too. So he's a nice player. I don't understand why Toronto traded him for Gasol. Now, they won a title with Gasol, so I guess it worked. Uh, but he's, he's a decent role player for them. He's like, uh, to me, he's a better Nurkic. No, that's a good player then. Yeah, he's good. He's decent. But I think overall, the Jazz have more talent. And if you're going to rely on Brooks doing what he's doing. Now, Brooks, you know, watch him at Oregon. And he was a gamer too. Mm-hmm. So these Pac-12 guys, you know, I have a little bit of uh, history with. And he was, you know, he was one of their guys, obviously. And I like him. And I don't like him to the ability that he showed on Sunday to do it consistently. Because if he does, they're going to be really tough. Because I guess the the other guys, to me, didn't really do outside of what they are capable. And I guess that Bain kid, when he hit three of four, two of three from three. So maybe he doesn't do that. The three he uh, had at the end of the uh, third was outrageous. You're just feeling it at that point. Yeah, and Yang gets the T. That was... Strange. It seemed like uh, the Memphis guy looked at, kind of taunted. But nevertheless, I don't know that I can count on that. Uh, but if they repeat that effort, they reprise it, they're going to be tough. Although, even still, if they reprise it, I still think the Jazz can win because I don't think the Jazz played near their level. And I think maybe there was, as Mike Smith was saying, there was some shell shockness yes. of, wait a second, we got Donovan all week and now right at the 11th hour we don't have them right they had all day Saturday to prep and all that prep went out the window and Sunday shoot around shoot around Sunday Sunday. that went out the window too go home to take your nap and you know Joe's probably thinking he's coming off the bench and all and and I don't really want to use it as an excuse but I think it it just uh, threw them off well now they're going to get a jolt and one thing I wanted to say with Donovan you know we talked about his interview yesterday Mm -hmm. I really appreciate his straightforwardness why try to hide stuff? You don't need to reveal everything. And he didn't. But, but don't play count and cat and mouse. Yeah, clearly he wanted to play. And he yeah. was kind of, you could kind of feel him preparing to bob and weave. And then he thought, well, what's the point? Everybody knows I want to play. Well, I'll just say I wanted to play. At the start. I'll go straight at it. Here yeah, at the start. He right. made a statement. Yes. Usually they'll go, okay, welcome, Joe. First question. We'll take questions, yeah. Uh, but 
they started to go down that Madeline started to go down the PR lady and they went down and he interrupted and said, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here first. So I'm going to get this out. And I think that's good. Address the issues. It's all out there. And, and now too, with all this media all over the country, it's going to come out within minutes anyway. Somebody's going to say something. There's enough people and there's enough media who want to know that somebody's going to say something. So put it out there and address it. And I really appreciate what he did from a from a journalist standpoint instead of, you know, playing 20 questions. When everybody knows what the questions are and he's obviously media savvy. I mean, we've seen it so many times over. So if you know what the questions are, don't wait for them. Just get out there and answer them. And that's yeah. what he did with the opening statement. Just address the elephant that everyone knows is in the room. And then when they do ask follow-ups to the sticky situation, don't take offense. He did These and slobs he over here that. are just trying to do a job. And he said, I know you have a job to yeah, do. Right. So, But really, that was also his way of telling you, I know what you want to know, and there's some stuff I'm just not uh, telling you. Right, I'm not going to give it. And that's I'm, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Don't, don't take offense at the questions, which he didn't. So I really have to grade him out as an A-plus for that Zoom interview that he did. But not a surprising A-plus. You knew he was media savvy going in. Yeah, he really is, yeah. And he was again.